You're listening to FIC Resources for Church Leaders. In this episode, you'll hear Ed Stetzer, Professor and Dean at Wheaton College, close to Chicago, Illinois, speak at the 2016 FIC Leaders Conference. This is the first of two messages in which he helped church leaders grasp a deeper understanding of the theology of evangelism as they seek to minister in a contemporary context. It's really early morning in my head, and uh, that's all right. This is usually when I'm out praying for my fourth hour, and... Uh, Okay, that's a little bit of an exaggeration, but I'm glad to, glad to be here and, and uh, to hear some of the reports this morning are always so encouraging to hear what the, the Lord's doing. And, uh, sometimes I understand what's going on. I love, uh, for example, I've heard of Commission and thank you for Reggie and what they're doing. And, and, uh, and, and Jonathan talks, he's so enthusiastic about each and every book. It's like everyone has changed his life. And I love that about you. It's easier because I got to be in that list and that was super encouraging. Um, it's all the talk of pounds and squids that don't make sense to me. I don't know what that is, but... Uh, Quids? I don't know. But anyway, I'll, uh, all I do know right now is that with the exchange rate, I'd like to buy all of your books, please. And, uh, I can hand them out to you as friends. It's no problem. Um, and I heard you used to come to the States to shop for things. And so, Greg, I'm, thankfully, I'm going to the Hemsby Mall a little bit later on to buy some <laughs> clothing. But I, all the, everyone's so excited about leaving this place. You know, this is uh, my first time in the UK. They told me this is what it all looks like. And so, uh, no, that's not true. Um, <laughs> But it is, it is good to be here and look to God's Word together. If you have your Bible, take it out turn with me to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. It's a scripture she just read. Matthew chapter 9. If you don't have a Bible, well, repent and look on with a friend because hopefully you're ready to jump in and walk through God's Word together. It's interesting because this passage is uh, it's kind of such a transitional passage. It's very easy for us to overlook because it sort of stands on its own. There are two things that mislead us about this passage. First, it sort of stands on its own as a set, like a little pericope of something going on here. It says, Jesus went out through the villages um, and then prayed for the Lord of the harvest. He might send workers to the harvest. And then it's on number 10, which is another topic, right? But the problem is, chapter 10, which is another topic, the problem is, is that the verse and chapter numbers aren't obviously in the original text, and they mislead us a little bit here about what's going actually on here, right? So what I want us to see is, is the essential nature here, the essential nature of seeing and engaging in the harvest. Now, now right now, Good, good things are going on here at the FIEC, right? We, we've heard uh, the resurgence of the FIEC, Reggie mentioned. We've heard a lot of encouragement about outgrowing the facilities, and, and I share that, too. I, I hear from people across, uh, across the pond talk about this. I was in Australia hearing people talk about what God's doing in the FIEC. Now, now the reality is, is good things can happen and good things can be sustained, but good things that are happening and sustaining have to be built around reaching people who don't know Christ and seeing them change by the power of the gospel. Uh, without such, what happens is we're perpetuating the moving of sheep around into churches that are more aligned with our theological ilk, but nevertheless are not engaging people who don't know the Lord. And so that's the necessity for us to be reminded of. Now, let me remind you, therefore, that we are here today and this week with the theme of evangelism to learn how to do what the writer of Hebrews says. The writer of Hebrews reminds us to provoke one another to love and good deeds. And as we provoke one another to love and good deeds, some of those love and good deeds must be the proclamation of the gospel so that others might hear and respond by grace and through faith. If you don't do that, the growth of the FIEC will slow and eventually stop and then soon decline. Because as we heard from Spurgeon, you know, movements have to see the converts come from within their ministry and their mission. And what I would say, if that doesn't happen, there's no future for a movement. Now, I'm not a prophet. I'm not the son of a prophet, and I work at a nonprofit organization. So I can't predict for you with great confidence what ultimately is going to happen. 
But I can say to you that this passage will be key to a future that resembles that which God would desire for our movement. So let's take a look at verse 35. We'll begin to walk through. Start with number one, if you're taking notes, the good news of the kingdom. Jot this down in your notes if you're so inclined. The good news of the kingdom. Now it says in verse 35, Now Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. Now, uh, the text here is essentially important because this is not just a uh, statement of what Jesus was doing. This is a, a literary de- device that Matthew uses in, more than once in the Gospel of Matthew when he says we're going to stop and we're going to start a new section. It's, it's closing one section and beginning another section. You see it right there in Matthew chapter 9. But what you may miss is that in Matthew chapter 4, verse 23, Jesus says pretty much, excuse me, Matthew says of Jesus pretty much the same thing. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 23, Jesus is, 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 again, it says, and he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So what happens is we have a bit of a repetitive nature. Matthew uses this statement, excuse me, <clears throat> this statement as a bit of a reset of what actually he is doing. And so here, what's going on is that Matthew is saying, okay, something significant has happened Something significant is about to continue to happen. Pay attention here. So Jesus is teaching, preaching, and healing. Now, here it doesn't say Galilee. Here it says, as it did in Matthew 4.23, here it says throughout all the cities and villages. Now, in Matthew 4.23, it's a significant transition into his preaching and teaching ministry. The uh, Sermon on the Mount would soon come, and and, and there'd be changes in the way Jesus does ministry from Matthew 4.23 forward. From Matthew 9.35 forward, there are big shifts in Jesus' ministry coming here. Because before now, this is key, right? Before now, the ministry was to the disciples. Now the ministry is going to be through the disciples. Okay, Before it was to the disciples. Now it's going to be through the disciples. Before, the disciples were the recipients in Jesus' ministry. Following this, the disciples are now going to be participants in Jesus' ministry. Now, why? Because something's going to change them, their heart, their situation, and their focus. And prayer is the bridge that's going to bring us from Matthew chapter 9 and that which proceeds to Matthew chapter 10 and that which follows, and that's prayer for the harvest. Prayer for the harvest. Now, we know Jesus has already taught us to pray because prior to Matthew chapter 9 is Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. And in there, we have the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus teaches us uh, to pray in certain ways, right? And he says, at one point, he says, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So Jesus teaches them to pray. And in the disciples' model prayer, which sometimes we call the Lord's Prayer, Jesus says to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But in Matthew chapter 9, verse 35, the prayer becomes more specific And finally, we'll see in chapter 10 as we move on, prayer focuses you on those kingdom values. So it's not just a generic, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done. But Jesus instructs them and says, pray that the Lord of the harvest would send workers into his harvest. Now, I don't want you, I'm jumping ahead, uh, but I don't want you to miss this, right? So in chapter 9, verse 35, he says, pray for the Lord of the harvest to send workers into his harvest. But in chapter 10, he tells them they're the workers to go into the harvest. Now, now I know it might seem a little bit like a trick. I, I would think of being a wise leader, uh, or maybe in the case of a good parent. I've said to my kids many times, I sit down and say, kids, don't you think that children should keep their rooms clean? 
Hey, wouldn't, I mean, wouldn't that be a great... Yes, Father. No, they don't really respond like that. It's not, they're not that gullible. But, but, but I say to them, don't, don't you think this should be important? Let's think about how important this is. And then I tell them, you should do this, right? It's not dissimilar to, to, to a confrontation where somebody says, you, you, isn't it wrong if somebody did so-and-so or shouldn't somebody do so-and-so? And then say, you are the man. We see that in the scriptures. You are that man. Well, when we look to the passage here, we find that Jesus calls them to pray and prayer is going to motivate them to kingdom action. So Jesus went all the, throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. The gospel of the kingdom. Now, the gospel of the kingdom, as a theological concept, concept has actually has a bit of a challenging history. A hundred years ago, the idea of the kingdom of God actually derailed much of theology. And the idea that the kingdom of God would be brought in and the over-realized eschatology that came along with it derailed many denominations and groups into thinking that their focus of Jesus' ministry was to do good for others. I don't misunderstand. Jesus calls us to do good. He calls us to do good in his name, to care for those who are hurting, so they might look to us and see our Father, give glory to our Father in heaven because of our good works. But that became the totality of the ministry because they heard the phrase, the gospel of the kingdom. And in doing so, and in misunderstanding such, they lost the proclamation of the cross in the gospel of the kingdom. You say, well, that wouldn't happen again, would it? Well, history doesn't really repeat itself, but it does tend to rhyme. And we see some of that today. Maybe you've noticed on, uh, on Facebook, you have, you have the Facebook in the UK, right? I'm just checking. just checking. I didn't know if that got cut off with the whole Brexit thing. Uh, I'm just checking. I don't really know. Listen, I need some country to make fun of their politics in right now. Please, anyone? 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 And you, you've not quite trumped our situation, but you're getting close. But on, on Facebook, you'll see people post this quote, and they'll attribute it. It goes like this. Preach the gospel at all times. If necessary, use words. And it's attributed to St. Francis of Assisi. Now, now, there's a problem with that. Right? Well, actually, there's two major problems. That Number one, he never said it. But that doesn't stop people, right? Remember the words of Winston Churchill. Don't believe all the quotes attributed to me on the Internet. Uh, So there's that. No historian thinks he said it. He wouldn't have said it. He was in a preaching order, right? So it doesn't make any sense. But number two, it's really bad theology. The gospel is good news. News needs a herald, and a herald proclaims. And so the gospel proclamation is essential and central to the life of the church and to the life of the Christian. And so when Jesus is going about all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom is going to be proclaimed and then doing works of the kingdom in healing every disease and every affliction. It matters that we understand the centrality of gospel proclamation. See, this, this wanes. It comes and it goes, but it wanes. So this passage starts with the good news of the kingdom, that Jesus died on the cross for our sin and in our place, and by grace and through faith. You might receive this new and everlasting life. You know, it's, it was Reformation Sunday, and then it was at church on Sunday at Moody Church, and we, we, we sang Reformation hymns, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. We, 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 have a, we have a pipe organ, and we broke out the pipe organ, which is quite an amazing thing. But there's no better way to sing Reformation hymns on a beautiful pipe organ and preach on the centrality of the cross and the importance of the gospel. 
But the reality is that's, that's not something should be contained to a Sunday or, or yesterday to an anniversary, or, but, but it should be something that flows forth from the life of believers. So let's go on to number two, the needs of the world around us. Number one, the good news of the kingdom. Number two is the needs of the world around us. When he saw the crowds that he hear in the sentences, Jesus, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Now, now, now it's interesting. The word, if you're, if, you're, if you're a writer in your Bible, circle the word compassion. He had compassion for them. It's so much more than our English word can explain, right? It's so much more, the original Greek. Um, it's a funny word with powerful meaning, right? It, 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 technically, it means to be moved in your inward parts, to be moved as in one's bowels. Now, it's, it's obviously a literal translation of having your bowels moved as kind of a movement. That Jesus was moved in his bowels. It, you have to understand that in the sense of what this means, right? There, then they would think of the seat of the deepest emotions being in our in our bowels, the seat of love and pity being in our bowels. And, and again, a little different than the way we mean that today. But maybe you've had that experience where something just crushed you inside. Um, for me, it was my daughter got sick a couple of years ago. She got bit by a, a tick that, and, and ended up with a tick-borne illness. And turned out to be very serious, and we didn't know at first. And so, it, so she, was, she had a fever on and off for three or four days. We kept taking her to the doctor. They said, no problem. About the fourth or fifth day, she broke out with spots all over. And so we said, we took her back, and they looked at her and said, we're going to go ahead and take her into the hospital. And so she stayed, we stayed in the hospital for a week, and, and, and she got worse and worse. And it, was, it, was kind of, it actually made the news. It made our national news because she was uh, so young and, 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 and just struggling physically. We weren't sure day to day what was going to happen. And people around the world were praying for us. I, I was actually supposed to uh, speak at a conference and. Uh, we were trying to keep it quiet and, and not talk a whole lot about it. So I just said my daughter was sick. I had to cancel speaking this conference. And, and, um, and so, so, so but, but someone filled in for me. And the person who filled in for me was a pastor of a, an unknown pastor of a small struggling church. His name was Rick Warren. And, uh, um, and so, and, which, which, and I just love to mention that Rick Warren's my backup and uh, <laughs> fills in when I can't. And, so, but he tweeted, he said, by the way, he did it by a video sitting in his office. So that's why he was the backup. So it wasn't that big of a deal. But he, uh, but he tweeted, you know, pray for Ed Stetzer's daughter. And all of a sudden, everyone starts calling and everyone, and I got to tell my phone just lights up. And I just, I take my phone, I put it down and I sit next to my little girl and I hold her and I pray for her. And I try to convince her to take a sip when she's awake and she's in and out of consciousness. And I, and because at the core of my being, I ache for her. I could feel it in every part of the core of my being. I would, I would trade everything. I would give my life. I would give everything I had if she would just wake up a little and take a little bit more. I ached at the core of my being. And that's the equivalent of the word that, that Jesus is described as experiencing. This compassion is so much more. It's why Nizamai is the word in the original language. It's, it's gut-wrenching, heart-melting, aching, heart-breaking at its core, love that hurts deeply. And my daughter recovered, and, and, and she's fine. And I know people who actually lost loved ones, and so, but the pain runs so, so deep. Well, this is the word that describes Jesus' feeling when he sees the crowds. Now, now, here's the challenge. Is that the way we feel when we walk through the villages, when we walk through the cities, when we walk through the countryside? Does our heart break, for they are like sheep without a shepherd, 
Or are we so driven by the, the things that concern us most? That are we more concerned that, that, that this take place than that take place? Or, 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 or do we cry out, give me Scotland or I die? Give me Birmingham or I die. Now the reality is, is when we pray, we become like Jesus, feeling the depth of compassion for his mission and his people. When we pray, we see people as they truly are in desperate need of a good shepherd of their souls. And, 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 and so, so why, why does that matter? Because that deep-seated compassion matters deeply. Here, here's, what, here's what we know. We, we've done research um, in uh, Australia, uh, Canada, U.S., have researched in the U.K., but we personally, and I and my team, done it in, in other contexts as well. Here's what we find in almost all the settings, is that most Christians say they have an obligation to share their faith. Most Christians say... They feel comfortable sharing their faith. Don't miss that. Most Christians say they have an obligation to, and most Christians say they feel comfortable sharing their faith. In in all English-speaking Western worlds, that's the case in some variant or another when you actually ask the question. Now, Now, here's the reality, though. Most Christians don't. So most Christians think they should, feel comfortable doing so, but don't. What's the difference? I think the difference reminds us here there's a reason Jesus tells us that to pray for the harvest, and there's a reason Matthew, before he tells us what Jesus says, speaks of Jesus' compassion for people who were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Now, we've already heard several people here mention lost people who don't know God. That that encourages me. Lost people matter to God. And for us to speak of the, the lostness and the need for men and women to hear by grace and through faith and respond to the good news of the gospel is essential. But when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. Strong words in the original language. Because they were harassed and helpless. Again, stark, strong words in the original language. They were like sheep without a shepherd. His heart went out to them. It was like a gut punch, a heart going out, and more. The graphic words, otherwise translated, they were torn and helpless. You say, what, well, what do we do? Well... Here is the question. What is Jesus preparing us to do? Well, I think part of it is to have a heart like his. Matter of fact, let's, let's, look, let's look at some passages that may help us to get a picture for this, a better picture for this, right? Um, some, some things that point to this reality, right? For example, uh, in John 10, beginning at verse 11, uh, you don't need to turn there for the sake of time. Just stay in the main passage. Uh, Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So, so he's saying, I'm, I'm, the one. I'm the good shepherd. I lay down my life for the sheep. And he says, he goes on and says, I know my own, my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for my sheep. Now, now, there's a link between the shepherding heart of Jesus and the prayer of his disciples for workers in the harvest. Okay, I don't want you to miss that, right? Now, that's obviously a mixed metaphor, which you're not supposed to do, but Jesus is allowed to, because he's Jesus. So what happens is, is that it says, so I, I'm the shepherd deeply burdened for the sheep. But this is the pattern of Jesus. Jesus frequently prayed, and after prayer came back with a sense of compassion. You know what I I noticed about you guys? You guys are like long prayers in your meetings. Now, now, because everyone who's prayed has been a long prayer in the meeting. In in the States, people don't do that. Or or we say, did you miss your quiet time? Uh, But but I like that. I like that. I'm coming back from the UK, from Hemsby, the capital of it all, thinking to myself, maybe we need long, more long prayers. Because in doing so, it wasn't just a perfunctory, Lord, bless our meeting. Lord, speak to us today. Thank you as our speaker comes. Amen. You know, what we call, those are prayers that give the band time to get off the stage. 
But you aren't given the band time to get off stage, man. You were, you were bringing it before the throne. And, and to hear the prayers spoke to the compassion. And when Jesus prayed, listen to what happens in Matthew 14, 13 and 14. Here's what it says. He says, when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. That's what Jesus does. Mark 1.35 was the second verse I memorized as a young believer, as a teenager. It says, very early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. So Jesus goes and he prays. But it says in Matthew 14, the crowds heard it. They followed him on foot from the towns. And when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Jesus prays, comes back with compassion for people who are hurting. Don't miss this pattern. Because it's not a mistake here. Matthew is not haphazardly writing his gospel. He is helping us to see the link between prayer, compassion, and action. Right? Compassion is so identifying with the needs of others that you must act. Prayer pushes you towards that compassion, right? And so, so, so you can take a look at the picture, right? So Mark 6.34 says, So as he stepped ashore, he saw a huge crowd and had compassion on them. So Jesus would pray and come back filled with compassion. Now, my dad's not a Christian. When I say my dad's not a Christian, some of you immediately think, well, he's in another denomination. Um, and, but I'm actually, I actually don't. My dad is not a Christian. He does not um, name the name of Jesus as his Savior and Lord. And I have been uh, working on him for a long, long time. I believe the Lord's been working on him far longer than I've been. Um, I remember when I came home, I heard the gospel uh, in an Anglican church, trusted Christ, came home that day, and first person I shared with was my dad. And I said to him, and I was just a young man, barely a teenager, and I said, Dad, are you saved? And he said, safe from what? I said, I don't know, but you need to be. I, I couldn't, I mean, I was a kid. I didn't know the full expression of these things. Over the time, over the years, I shared with my dad over and over again, always burdened. Every time I pray for him, I get a compassion to share the gospel with him. And there have been seasons, and we've had great conversations, and seasons where we haven't had a lot of conversations. He comes, I have, the, I have, his, I have his only grandchildren. I hold them hostage. Um, <laughs> So he'll come, he'll come on Christmas time a lot of times. And so, so I tell the church, I said, listen, you can invite all your friends, Christmas Eve service, invite all the friends you want. I can assure you they can overhear me sharing the gospel with my dad, pretending I'm not talking directly to him. But that's what I do. I plan Christmas Eve service around the gospel message that my dad needs to hear. Um, last year, my father called me. We talk a lot, but he called me and he said, Ed, I have a, uh, I have a brain uh, issue of an aneurysm that they have to go in and do brain surgery on me and it's pretty serious and I might not make it out if I do make it out I might not make it out mentally um, fully capable just capable at all and I, I wanted you to know I said God oh I grieve prayed with him on the phone I said I need to come talk to you and he said yeah come on down and so um, so I jumped on a plane just a couple days later to meet him little plane, like an, like an easy jet, one of those quick, easy ones you get on, but it's not, when you do it on two days' notice, it's not so easy and quick. And so I spent, it was, went down and had a ham sandwich with my father. When you factor in the airfare, it was the most expensive ham sandwich anyone's ever had. So I flew down, and I, I sat with him across the table, and I said, Dad, you know why I'm here. And he says, yeah, I, I expected you to come. I'm glad you did. And so I took out the Bible, and I began to share what it meant to be a Christian. And we, we, and, 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 and we, we went through the scriptures, and he's, he, he likes the big guy upstairs as he refers to God the Father. 
He likes the big guy upstairs, and he has a certain sense of spirituality of his own making, of his own development, and, he, and, and he's, a very, he's a sharp man. A businessman lives on the beach there on the east coast of the U.S. and he's done successfully. He's retired now, and he's no fool by any stretch of the imagination. And I, I talked to him, and I said, Dad, let me, let me make sure, though, you understand that God is more holy than you can possibly imagine. And you and I, we're more sinful than we'll ever admit, but God sent Jesus into history to reconcile people in the world to himself. And he said, well, why is the world so broken and so lost? And, and, and why is there sickness? And well, this is a result of the fall. It impacts everything. The, the aneurysm in your head is an impact of the fallenness of the world. But God sent Jesus and, and he's making us a new kingdom. And one day he'll restore all things. And, and we go through and, I, and we went for an hour. And then, and then we laughed and we prayed. He said, would you just pray for us? I prayed for him and I said, Lord, just be at work. Give wisdom, Father. If you supernaturally might heal. And I, I prayed and we laughed some more. We cried and we talked about our family and then we talked another hour and then we talked about three hours we talked together and it is hard to share the gospel with your dad maybe you've done it because your dad like knows you're stupid right and he's like found your sin when you were a teenager right he's going through your room and said oh gee whiz there you go i mean your dad knows your stuff you know, he's seen me lose my temper he's seen me be a bad dad sometimes um but it was, it was none of that. It was hard to get there. But years of compassionate praying had given me such a burden for my father. I didn't, he didn't trust Christ that day. And he's fine, and he went through his recovery, and he hadn't trusted Christ since. As a matter of fact, I've never talked to someone more about the gospel and had them been more open than my father and actually not have them trust and follow Jesus. Now, I'm praying in God's sovereignty that, that he will trust and follow Jesus before the end of his earthly life. But I shared the gospel with my dad because I love my dad and I maintain a compassion and love for my dad because I pray for my dad. Prayer gives you Jesus' compassion for the harvest. And I pray for the Lord to send workers to the harvest. Now what's fascinating is, okay, so, so my father is, uh, sometimes it might be hard to receive from your son. So I've been praying, I say, Lord, send workers to the harvest. And my dad tells me that he's been in this group in his neighborhood, they call it a, they call it a seeker group. And they've been reading uh, all kinds of books, right? And so I... So I, um, so I, and I, I, well, I've been subtly trying to find out more. And I suggested a book for them to read, and and they've been reading like Deepak Chopra and uh, Wayne Dyer and Joel Osteen. Um, and so I said, well, let me suggest some, you know. And so, so I actually suggested some that actually, you know, mentioned the gospel. And uh, and he actually, they actually read it. And I found it. Well, why did you read it? He said, because there's another guy in the group. Who's like you, my dad says to me. Ah. And, 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 and he always is sharing about how, well, ultimately, he, he reads along with us, but then he points us to Jesus, and he keeps telling us about Jesus. I said, well, listen, listen to him. That's the guy, the books he suggests. Read those. And then it wasn't that long ago when I got a call from my dad, and he said, yeah, my brother, he's a born-againer now, too. That's a kind of a thing, I think, a born-againer. Um, I said, really? I mean, because strangest thing, because, because a few weeks before I'd heard that uh, there was, I was speaking at a conference in Texas, um, which is a country in North America, and, uh, and, and I was there, as I was there in Texas, I, I met a guy, and he came up to me as a church planning conference, and he said, you're, you're Ed Stetzer, are you related to Bill Stetzer? And I said, I said yeah, I mean, that's my uncle, and, and he says, well, he's coming to my church, he's a new believer. I said, no, 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 you don't know my uncle, he's the least likely person ever to come to your church or anybody else's church. But God had saved him. Now he's talking to my dad. So we got a neighbor on Team Jesus. We got an uncle or his brother on Team Jesus. Why? Because God desires 
men and women to hear and respond by grace and through faith to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So when he saw the crowds, Jesus is described, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Now, what does it end there? Well, it doesn't because there's a beautiful picture that, 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 that I don't want us to miss. Number, number three, it lays out the need for a Savior. The need for a Savior. And I don't want you to miss this part because I think this part here kind of lays out so much of what we've been talking about here. It says in Matthew 9, 30, 37 through 38, it says, Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Now, let's stop there and let's walk through this little by little. Then he said to his disciples, That's very important. Because there's a whole lot of people historically who thought when Jesus was speaking to his disciples, it was limited to the people in the room. Matter of fact, that was a, there was a very, very widely held Calvinist position at one point, is that when Jesus, for example, gave the Great Commission, it was to the immediate hearers, not to all the subsequent disciples. And, and so what happened is, is that, that godly men had to stand up and say, right, right, right here in the UK, and speak out. William Carey said, presented a presentation, and he said, listen to the title of the presentation, On the Obligation of Christians to Use Means for the Propagation of the Gospel Among the Heathen. That's quite a title uh, of a book. And I bet Jonathan could get up here and make it sound shorter and awesome at the same time. <laughs> Jonathan was going for the short books. I was like, you know, short, you, don't, you don't read a lot. Just read these short books. But that's kind of the thing right now is short books. But, but William Carey, he had the ob- on the obligation of Christians to use means for the propagation of the gospel among the heathen. Now, why? Because people had kind of, well, what, 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 what was responded to him was he was told, sit down, young man. If God desires to convert the heathen, he doesn't need you or me. But over time, cooler and wiser heads have prevailed that much of Jesus' words are directly for us. If they were disciples then, we're disciples now. His words, 2,000 years travel, and to us. Well, no, that's not true about everything. There are things Jesus says to his disciples that obviously are not for you. For example, he says to his disciples, a couple of them, he says, go find a donkey and a colt. This is not for you. Um, I don't need you wandering through the streets of Hemsby today. I'm sorry, let me pray that. I don't need you wandering through the street of Hemsby today um, looking for livestock, though I'm quite certain you might find some. in this area. But when Jesus speaks to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. We assume, rightfully so, that he's referring to us, speaking to us 2,000 years later. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Now, the thing that makes this perhaps most fascinating to me is that this is 935. And then if you look just over in chapter 10, hopefully you kept open to there, you look over in chapter 10, it goes on to here. And it says uh, in, in verse 5 of chapter 10, then these 12 Jesus sent out. Now, now, wait a second. So he's telling them to pray for the laborers in the harvest, and then these he sent out. So again, it's, it's a trick, a godly, holy, righteous trick. Go ahead, and you guys, you guys all pray for the harvest. Open your eyes. You're, the har- you're to go to the harvest. So, so it lays this out for us, ultimately here in chapter 10, to go as workers into the harvest. So prayer is the transition that gives them the passion for the harvest. So again, number three, the need for a savior. It says this, then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful. Now, I bet it doesn't feel that way for you. Um, Because, you know, we're all in different harvest fields and sometimes the the ground is harder, rockier and more difficult. I mean, Jesus even speaks of that in a parable uh, that sometimes the seed falls on hard soil. 
And I, and I know, and you, you, you hear stories of the U.S. and churches that are, that are quite large, and I get that. And I, and I get that I preach regularly at churches that are larger than any church in the U.K., um, of not just FEIC, but of all. But, and, but it's, a different, it's a different world. But I want you to hear a couple things. Uh, first of all, um, not all these things are going to translate from one to another. The percentage of evangelicals here is remarkably lower. People are remarkably more post-Christian than they are here. This is hard soil. So when you think, we think, well, I've got 50 people in my church, just take, take a pride in saying, and just an ungodly, inappropriate pride, say, I'd be like a megachurch pastor in the U.S. Because they pass out megachurches in the U.S. like candy on Halloween. There's actually 1,600 megachurches in the U.S., 1,600 churches, 2,000 or more. But the reality is that's not what church life really looks like in the U.S. The typical church in the U.S. is less than 100 in attendance. That's the typical, the median size is less than 100 in attendance. And it's actually slightly smaller here, a little smaller in Australia, a little smaller still in, in New Zealand. So why do I tell you all this? Because I know that when you have an American speaker, you, you know the American speaker has been in different contexts, et cetera, et cetera. But I don't come to you with examples of, here, you'll do this, you'll, have a, you'll, you'll get, a, get a big megachurch. What I'm asking of you is to be faithful to where God has sent you, to be faithful to the evangelistic mandate he's given you, and then to be fruitful out of faithfulness and see what the Lord provides. See, ultimately, we don't get to decide who becomes a Christian. But I would remind you again that we get to be a part of spreading the good news of the gospel. He says the harvest is plentiful. Plentiful, what does plentiful mean? But the labor is really plentiful. Is, I mean, Jesus says there's a plentiful harvest still to be harvested, and that includes the U.K., the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly. There's another one of those hard words that are hard to translate. Pray at the core of our being to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Do you see all the, notice all the words harvest, okay? Those are good, right? You've got harvest plentiful, right? Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest. So it's the, he's the Lord of the harvest into his harvest. Clearly, the Lord is making claim on his people and his harvest. It's his harvest, and we're to pray for him to send people to his harvest. Now, why does that ultimately matter? Well, keeping in mind where this passage is might help us. In Matthew chapter 5, 6, 7, we have the great, excuse me, we have, we have the, uh, the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew 10, we have really the beginning of kingdom mission. Now, mission's a key thing, right? Because we heard, we heard F-I-E-C, mission. Now, what do we mean by mission? Missions is different than mission. Missions is the idea of cross-cultural or geographic barriers and boundaries. We send missionaries to the Pokot in Africa, to the Quechua in the highlands of Peru, to the Iban in Malaysia. But here in the UK, we are still on mission, now, what does it mean? And who's on mission? Is everybody on mission or is a subset on mission? Well, the FIEC has declared in their last video, which was great and helpful, that they are on mission. Now, the question is, are all God's people, are all God's people called to mission? Now, this is actually not, not a, a subject without some controversy. The evangelical consensus, but not the unanimous view of evangelicals, is that all of God's people are on mission. I got a phone call from a guy. And he asked me to come speak at his conference. And, I, and, I, and I, he called me up and he said, he said, listen, I've read what you've written on this, and I don't know that I agree. As a matter of fact, I think I might disagree. Uh, his name was John Piper. And um, when John Piper starts his invitation to you with, I think I might disagree with what you're saying, what I said was, well, yes, Lord, what do I need to stop saying? Because when I listen to the Lord, his voice sounds remarkably like John Piper. <laughs> he said, no, 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 I want you to come and I want you to make your case at our Desiring God National Conference that, that all of God's people are sent on mission. 
Jesus said, I'm concerned we're devaluing the missionary by saying everybody's a missionary. He said, well, John, I don't actually say everybody's a missionary. I say everybody should be on mission. He said, even better, I want you to come and I want you to present that at the Desiring God National Conference. And so, so I came and I, and I spoke and I, and I sort of decided that I needed to get, the, uh, get the, the, the issue on the table right away and winsomely and graciously uh, present my view, which is a little different than my host, but that's what he asked me to do. And so I got up here at John's conference. John's sort of seated right here. Everyone can see him. And I'm, I'm up here. And I said, listen, listen, uh, Pastor John has asked me to come. And, 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 and I always respond, right, to, to really any of, you know, if, you know, John Piper, John MacArthur, John Calvin, first, second, and third John, any of them, <laughs> for the three horsemen of the Calvinist apocalypse, I always respond. So John asked me to come, and I, and I want you to know that John and I, I think, nuanced this a little bit differently. And, and you've got to kind of make a decision how you're going to respond to my message. Because, again, you might, you do as well. I hope we have the maturity to say, you know, I don't agree with everything Stetzer says, but I agree with enough. I can learn some things. So I said something like that. And I said, so you've got to either go with, there's two, two, two paths here, right? Either everybody is on mission, or, or everyone in some sense represents Jesus, but certain people are sent as missionaries on mission. Now, now, so I said, so here are your choices. So um, John Piper says the, the latter, that, that, that you know, all of us represent Jesus, and, and some people are sent on mission. But it was Charles Spurgeon who said every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. So you got a hard choice, folks, at this Iron God National Conference, between Piper or Spurgeon. I'm going to let you guys work that out. Now... Everyone was funny because you laugh, but nobody laughed there. <laughs> Until John, I mean, it's like silence, right? Because Calvinists can be very serious and uh, very uptight, depending on the stage. If they're in the cage still, we've got to you know, give them a little space. But once they get out of the cage, they have Calvinists, they can have a little fun. And uh, so, so he's sitting right there, and John just goes, ha, ha, ha. And then everyone's like, ah! <laughs> it was an awkward moment. Uh, <laughs> But so, so worth going. Um, it's funny. I, I preached for John. Uh, the week after John retired, I, I preached at his church the next Sunday. I, I guess I was the, the transitional speaker. And I made a pop culture reference. And um, you've never seen a group of people say, was that a pop culture reference? Because, uh, you know, John doesn't engage in any pop culture. John goes up to a hill. He uh, closes the door in his little shack. He prays until the Lord gives him something to say. And then he comes down and goes like this. And I don't know about you, but I always want to be at the bottom of the mountain when Moses comes down with the message. Um, but but, I, but I, I will tell you that I think it's important, and I, I, think it's, I think it's best described as this. All of God's people are sent on mission. All of God's people are called to the ministry. The only question is where, among whom, doing what. I do believe in the role and the place of set-aside offices for the church, but I'm saying that all of God's people are sent on mission to show and share the love of Jesus in the midst of a broken and hurting world. I think it's essential that we get that. And this passage is set between, remember, kingdom living, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7, and kingdom mission, where Jesus sends his disciples in Matthew chapter 10, and I think by extension sends us. Now, remember, this is the pivot point. So the prayer leads to the pivot, and the pivot is they move from being recipients of Jesus' ministry to participants in Jesus' ministry. This is really key. They move from being recipients of Jesus' ministry to being participants in Jesus' ministry. And here's, and here's what I want to ask you. Because I, I have the privilege of speaking in a lot of different places. And it's, it's this, this past week, I've been speaking to people like us 
a lot of times I speak to people who are different than us. I speak in settings where they're sort of all assume that every innovation is good. If it's new, it's almost certainly true. Uh, if it's exciting, it's the Holy Spirit. The louder the band, the more clear the work of God is. Um, this past week, I, I've been in people more like us. We tend to be more theologically driven. I, I spoke at the Harvest Network, James McDonald's Network, or Sojourn Network, where Daniel Montgomery is. And so pretty much all, um, this has been a week of reformed, verse-by-verse expositors who love the gospel, who love doctrine, uh, and who often have, uh, have skipped leg day and who are known more for what they believe, thank God for that, but not for whom they tell and where they go. And, and I think, and what I pray, is that we might be known for all of those things. When I, when I go, I want you to know, because you may wonder, well, Ed, you come to our meeting, and it's kind of like, you know, you talk about not having, us having skipped leg day and having you know, skinny, skinny, skinny legs and use all this workout uh, examples like you know anything about working out. Um, I do work out. I'm just doing it wrong. Um, but because this is me this is me and I want you to hear the burden that came in my own heart in my own life so I I was um, about five years ago I was convicted actually more than that now I guess it was about six years ago seven years ago I was convicted of the Lord that I was going around the country talking about the gospel gospel this and gospel that and, and everything I mean just literally gospel has turned into an adjective in my life and yet I was so busy out talking about this, I wasn't actually living this. And the Lord convicted me, and Don and I, Don is my wife, and Don and I sat down and we said, okay, we have, uh, we have eight neighbors who live within just a couple of blocks of us. And so the question then was, what are we going to do about and with these eight neighbors that we ultimately have? I don't think you're going to see that here, so I'm going to improvise just a little bit. So we have eight neighbors, and what are we going to do with the eight neighbors that God's actually put into our lives here? Why don't you come hold it for me? We just hold it right there. Thanks. In America, we'd call you Vanna. There you go. Uh, I don't know if there's a same here. Um, and so, so what, what? So what we began to do is so. So here, here was our house, right? We just live right here, and we began to say, Lord, Lord, we we believe that you have placed us around people who need Jesus. And so we began to pray and began to ask the Lord to say, All right, take our neighbors, typical American style suburb people, live in different settings, different places. Said, Let us, Lord, take our neighbors. And let us be passionate and driven to pray for them and to seek to reach them um, one at a time. And so we took eight neighbors and we began to pray. And, and so here's, 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 here's our home, right? Here's our, here's our, our family here. And that's, uh, um, we live here. And we began to pray. And so, so there, are eight, there are eight people that within the area we began to pray for. And we said, Lord, give us a burden for them. And, and we began to experience that burden for them. And at the time, I was inter- interim pastor at a church downtown a long way off. I just knew I wanted to reach my neighbors. And so, so I started by, by talking to, to, uh, to these folks right here. And, and, uh, and, and, and we, we got to know them. Our kids played together a little bit, but began to share the gospel with them. And, and it became clear and evident and obvious that they actually didn't, he didn't know the Lord. She was unsure. So I, I, because we built relationships, had the privilege to pray for them to, to receive Christ. As a matter of fact, I got a text from him just a couple of days ago. Uh, they, they, this was about four years ago. And now he's, he's actually a deacon in our church. And she's, and I should say, it's not my church anymore. I, I left four months ago. Uh, she's a key women's leader in our church. And they texted me a few days ago and said, hey, listen, I, I, we, we, we refine you the way because we love our church, but you're gone now. But would you be willing to come back and baptize our kids? 
because we've led them to the Lord now. And I've talked to Jason about how he's talked to his mom and shared the gospel and at workplace where he started a Bible study. And it started because we began to pray and say, Lord, give us a burden for our neighborhood. And, and, and I've had the privilege of these eight homes of being in seven of eight of these homes and sharing the gospel. And I'm not talking about like sharing the gospel by like inviting them to church or say, God bless you when they sneeze or something of that effect. I'm talking about being in their homes and and sharing what it means to follow Jesus. And in doing so, I I had the privilege of being with him. He's he's actually... um He's actually has British lineage, and he's he's new here, and he and he came he, the, the family, and they came to our small group Bible study that we soon started in our home, and people began to attend our small group Bible study. Some others from outside this immediate aid, and and, and I, I remember when 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 he first came to Bible study, I said, "Open your Bible to Matthew four eleven," and he said, "Okay, I don't know who Matthew is, and why are there numbers after his name." And actually see him learn and grow. And then, then he ultimately heard the gospel and became a believer. And I will tell you that our church was too much for him. We have a contemporary church, you know, with all the things, with the you know, loud music, and we eat in the movie theater the whole nine yards. So we said, no, there's no problem, no problem. They're, so we got them connected, and now they're deeply connected to a Bible-teaching traditional church because our church isn't the only place preaching the gospel in our community. Get them plugged in, right? So we, so we sought to engage neighborhood to say, seven of eight of them. Why didn't you engage eight of eight of them? Well, because... Because one of them doesn't like us at all. <laughs> they need Jesus, right? But it appears I'm not the person that's supposed to tell them. Actually, they, they, they actually um, live. Actually, I did the wrong house. It's their house. I'm so sorry. They're nice people. Um, sorry. But, they're, they're, but every neighborhood needs someone who yells at your kids, get off my lawn. And that's them right there. And so I wrote about them in another book. Um, so, but, but these, these people up here, you know, they, they went through some personal struggles. I got to share the gospel with them, right? So, so she, her right here is, it, it's, it's heartbreaking because she's come to church several times. I've shared the gospel. But, but, but she just said, because of what you believe, we believe some things that the world doesn't believe at our church. Because of what you believe, I can't be a part of what you're doing. And, and this family down here, one more, actually had the privilege of baptizing them. Now, five years later, they're in Brazil serving as missionaries. These folks are still considering the claims of the gospel and, and, and coming to church on and off. Had this opportunity to share the the gospel here. Now, here's the, why, why do I draw this for you? Because I, I talk about this at church, and my neighbors are right there. So when I look out at my church, my neighbors that I talk about are sitting right there. Now, why is that important? Because you need, I need, we need to be able to stand before our people and say, our life is defined, at least in part, by the words of Jesus, that the, har- the, workers, the workers are few. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. I was, uh, before we left, I was working out, and again, I know, doing it wrong, but I was. Uh, and the, this family came over to my house. They, they've subsequently moved out, and uh, they don't live there anymore, not because of our meeting that I'm about to tell you about, uh, but Christians moved in, which is always disappointing to me because I prefer a target-rich environment for gospel proclamation. But new believers. Uh, but I was uh, I was working out, and they rang the doorbell, and I I came up all sweaty, and I I said uh, I said um, yeah what, what's up? And and it was the it was the stepdad and the mom and the son, all three of them, and um, and they came and they said and I'm all done too, by the way. You, you, you can take that down with you if you don't mind. Um, and and I said what what what's up? And they said well you know you came to our house a couple weeks ago and you explained to us about being a Christian. That's what they call it. I, talk, I would say talk about the gospel. I said being a Christian. 
that, and we just we just had some follow up questions, and we and then they were all embarrassed because I saw I was working out, and they said they said you need this, and uh, I said you know I can take a break, please, and so I so I sat down with them at the dining room table, all covered in sweat, and he said so, and, and the son Stephen says the same, say so you're saying that it's not how good we are, but because of what God has done. So what, what about really bad people? I mean, can you be as bad as bad and still be a Christian? I said, yeah, because it's not about how bad or how good you have been, but how gracious and how loving God has been through Jesus' death on the cross. And I looked at her. She said, that doesn't make sense. And I said, yeah, all, every religion in the world teaches you the opposite. Every religion in the world teaches you to try harder, be good, keep the gods happy, keep the priests happy, whatever it may be. But Christianity is about God being pleased in you because he sees Christ in you. And so your righteousness is not your righteousness, but you receive a new righteousness. Your sin, he dies for, he's atoned for, and you have been justified. And we had this conversation, and I prayed together. And again, not at the place. I think, you know, maybe I was the fifth or sixth person on the line of laborers that the Lord will bring in the harvest. But here's the thing. My question for you is this. I don't, I'm not seeking to say, look at me as an example by any stretch of the imagination. Because I did this because of my own failure. And I said, Lord convicted me. I, I told you yesterday, you can't lead what you won't live. My question for you is, have you engaged your neighbors? Or, or and here's where it gets tricky. Or, is most of your time spent going from your home and driving to church past your neighbors? And if your neighbors know you're a Christian because they see you leaving on Sunday morning, you may have misunderstood the nature of gospel proclamation. If you're busy going to the church to talk about the gospel, passing neighbors who don't know the gospel, you may have misunderstood the gospel. Now, sometimes the answer to our prayers, it's kind of a cliche, is us. And that, and that is cliche-ish, and, I, and I, I'm, I'm very cautious to say stuff like that because it's kind of like, you know, these things, God helps those who help themselves, and you have to be careful. But this happens to be one of those cases where the context is king here, and context says... Jesus says, he gives kingdom living, and then he, there's a little pericope here in the middle, and the end of it, it says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few, therefore earnestly pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. And just five verses later, it says, these 12 Jesus sent out, and, and, and instructing them, and he talks about them to go out and begin to be those who minister in Jesus' name. Now in John 20, 21, Jesus says, um, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. This is a key passage, right? It's a key passage for us to remember. As the Father has sent me, so send I you. Because in that passage, we get a picture that what Jesus said at the end of the Gospel of John is what we see hints of throughout the Gospels themselves, including here in Matthew chapter 9. Jesus says at the end of the Gospel of John, after saying that he has been sent by his Father, he say, he's used that expression in some way 40 times in the Gospel of John. At the end of it, he says, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. In Matthew chapter 9, we get a glimpse of what that looks like in miniature. Not over the whole Gospel of John, but actually in the, the, the Gospel of Matthew. Kingdom living, the great, it gets the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 9, pray earnestly the Lord of the harvest to send laborers into his harvest. Matthew chapter 10, your laborers in the harvest. And so the reminder is that prayer focuses us on the Great Commission. Prayer causes us to see rightly the mission of Jesus and our place in it. So I'm convinced that what the future needs is people with 
solid, robust theological views, who love the gospel, who understand the value of biblical teaching and preaching, who understand the importance of ecclesiology and the marks of a biblical church, who, who value those things deeply, and who have strong missional legs. I've got one simple place for you to start. And if there's nothing you take out of my session today, maybe, maybe 90% of you say, you know, Ed, I just wouldn't do this or wouldn't do that. Great. I mean, a lot of times when you preach to preachers, it's a long list of things that they want to say. I wouldn't do this. I wouldn't do this. So take one thing on the list that you would do. Go home and map out your neighborhood and pray with the kind of burning passion in your inward being for those people. They're like sheep without a shepherd. And the reality is, well, I'm sharing the gospel at church, and I led someone to Christ at church today. I think it's great. I want us to lead more people to Christ at church every day. But in an increasingly secular society, church is not where you're going to meet most people who need Jesus. Because they're not even going to visit the church anymore. Church is low. On my dad's list of places to find spirituality, church is number 30. He's got 50 places before he gets there. So my dad's going to hear the gospel because... Somebody has been a laborer in the harvest. Now, here's my exhortation to you as I close. Pray. Pray to the Lord of the harvest to send workers into his harvest. And might I, might I even say, can you pray for the harvest? Can you do what we did is just mark down a neighborhood? Maybe right now you can think about wherever you are. Mark down a neighborhood. you got names of people who live within eight houses of you or maybe other people that you know and pray. You say, Ed, I don't know anybody. I don't know anybody to pray for. I got, pray for my dad then. I'll give you that one. His name is Ed Stetzer. It's easy to remember. Really, that's his name. It's Ed Stetzer. And if you don't have anyone on your list to pray for, I would value the prayers of people who love Jesus and love the gospel like you do. But I pray that your list would be filled with other names and you would pray to the Lord of the harvest to send laborers in his harvest. And then you would be in part an answer to that prayer. Would you pray with me? Lord, we are struck that in your goodness... While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And Lord, we pray that you would remind us that the call on our lives must include the proclamation of the gospel. Father, as FIEC has made this a theme this week, may we not be people who make excuses, but we may we be people who make efforts. Faulting and struggling, but verbal proclamation efforts. May your name and your fame be more widely known because your people prayed for laborers in the harvest and then, just as Jesus did in Matthew chapter 10, heard the call of Jesus to be those laborers in the harvest. In Jesus' name and for his sake we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this resource from FIEC. For more resources for church leaders, subscribe to this podcast on your favourite podcast app and visit our website at fiec.org.uk. And don't miss our new podcast launching this autumn, Independence. It will feature regular discussions on relevant topics to help independent churches work together to reach Britain for Christ. You can subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts or watch on YouTube and the FIEC website.